Thanks, President. We have just passed the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War, a war where over a million people died, where people still grapple with the after-effects of the use of depleted uranium, where nobody has been held to account for a country torn apart and a region plunged into chaos. And we have a responsibility to look back and ask, how did it all happen? Well, it happened because the people in power told us over and over things they knew were not true. It happened because a compliant media failed to ask the questions and parroted those lies day after day, beating the drum for a war of aggression dressed up as a battle of democracy against authoritarianism. So now, as another country is torn apart, another region turned into chaos, at this uniquely dangerous phase in world history, we see the same people again, baying for blood, not their own of course, seizing the moral high ground, condemning peace as appeasement, bellowing that the only option is escalation. Well, you really have to ask yourself the question, why in God's name would we believe these liars now? We need peace and we need it now.
top there, you just heard Claire Daly, member of the European Parliament, representing Ireland, speaking the truth. One of my favorite politicians right now, and I just don't know why we can't have more like her. And we followed that up with some music, and you know, I was going to play a different track, and then this weekend I was playing some Iron Maiden pinball, and uh, that track came up two minutes to midnight from their album Power Slave, and uh, I thought, hey, why not? Not really one of my favorite bands of all time, but... uh, Certainly like the message in that track, that's for sure. So you are tuned in to Cheap Tuesdays, 101.5 UMFM. I'm your host, Dan. You may have noticed that there was a slight blip in the schedule for the last month, and I think it needs to be explained. As I've mentioned before, there's a listener out there who's unhappy with my opinions and the way that I express them. And let me be clear about this. That is totally fine. This person's allowed to have their opinion because Canada is supposed to be a free society where people express their opinions openly, especially about arguably the single most important event since the end of World War II, meaning the potential beginning of World War III. What I can't support, however, is one person or even many people trying to shut down my right to express my opinion, which is what was happening. The station managers here at UMFM have been great as we've tried to deal with this situation. And in the end, it was decided to just go ahead and play that show last week, basically as it was, uh, but without the swearing. And I should just quickly note here that I honestly had no idea that swearing was a problem. I thought being on at 10 p.m. and having a warning play before me gave me license to swear as much as I wanted, so I did it. But I don't mind compromising on that and getting rid of the foul language. So I'll just go ahead here and state my position clearly again, just to be sure that you all understand Canada used to be proud of its tradition of being peacekeepers, and the world valued it as well. Yet now, all I see from Canada is a bootlicking of the imperialist American agenda in cases like Syria, Yemen, and Venezuela, all of which our government has either remained silent about, or even flat-out supported with full-throated vehemence, and a completely hypocritical reaction with over-the-top, self-important language about freedom and democracy when it comes to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. All we're doing is fanning the flames of war when we demand unconditional support for Ukraine and heap all the blame on Russia without any nuance to the discussion at all. The only thing we should be supporting, in my opinion, is peace talks. I understand that the news is filled with Ukrainian refugees landing on our shores, And it's absolutely tragic what's happening to the Ukrainians. But if you really care about them, shouldn't you want them to stop dying? Shouldn't you want them to stop being forced from their country? Doesn't supporting peace above all else seem like the best way to save them and stop them having to leave their homes as refugees? I mean, this seems obvious to me. So that's my position. And I'm not staying silent on it anymore. I have a platform and I'm going to use it. And if that angers you, then it angers you. Feel your feelings. But once you're done feeling them, have a think about what I'm saying. Deep down, past all the anger, past all the patriotism, past all the propaganda, you know I'm right on this. There are no good wars. Now, I also realize that the way I say things sometimes can be over the top, but as I said last week, I'm angry and I'm scared. And honestly, if you're not, then you haven't been paying attention. NATO just expanded again to Finland, which opens up another 1,340 kilometers of border to militarization and potential accidental full-blown war, including the use of nuclear weapons. So the time for politeness and respectability is over. The people running our countries have lost their minds. 
They seem hell-bent on World War III when there's no reason for it. So clearly, polite and reasonable discussion has done nothing for us so far. The experts on war and nuclear catastrophe, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, have something called the Doomsday Clock, which they use to measure how close we are to completely destroying the world. The closer to midnight it is, the worse off we are. For 2023, they said that we're 90 seconds to midnight, the closest we have ever been in large part due to the war in Ukraine. And so what I've been doing in order to give a little bit of historical context to you so that you can understand exactly how dangerous this time is that we're living in is to give a bit of brief history about the most dangerous decades in between songs from the most dangerous year of that decade. I highly recommend that you go back and listen to them all in order. They're all up on the UMFM homepage, pretty clearly labeled as a doomsday songs. Just look for Cheap Tuesdays on the programming schedule part. I've taken a look at the 2000s, the 1980s, the 1960s, the 1950s. Last week we did the 1940s. And for this week, what I want to do is take a look specifically at the year 1947, the year that it all started. This was the first doomsday clock statement. This was when Albert Einstein was on the board helping to make the decision about the time. And obviously it was a reaction to this new reality the world witnessed as a result of Hiroshima and Nagasaki being destroyed by the first ever atomic bombs. In between the sets today, I'm going to be reading an important historical document to you. It comes from a book called Voices of the A-Bomb Survivors, Nagasaki, released by the Nagasaki Testimonial Society. I bought it back more than a decade ago when I visited both Hiroshima and Nagasaki, a visit which heavily influenced my current stance as an anti-war absolutist. It's not for the faint-hearted, but I urge you to stay tuned and listen to the horrific scenes described by a survivor of the atomic bomb. And here we go with some 1947 music. Thank you. 
Again, is from Voices of the A-Bomb Survivors, Nagasaki, released by the Nagasaki Testimonial Society. We're going to hear something called Unforgettable Hell on Earth, A Fireman's Tale of Horror. This is the testimony of Masayuki Yoshida, a male, an ex-firefighter. He was 36 years old at the time, and he was 2.8 kilometers from the hypocenter, which is the exact center of where the, uh, the bomb was dropped. At that time... I was working as a clerk in the general affairs research section for Nagasaki Fire Station. Around 8 in the morning on August 9th, the air raid alert was lifted. Therefore, many people were relieved of tension. Around 11, many thought it was the right time to get ready for lunch. I had just told some 100 students dispatched from each junior high school in Nagasaki City as messengers to have lunch now. Just then... The moment, a great flash of light and an explosive roar came. The fire station turned into a great mess. I felt a fierce blast through the window panes. A storm of sand and dirt filled the whole building so that I could see nothing. The fire station building was two-storied and built of fire-resistant wood. Most of the plaster on the western-style ceilings and walls fell all at once on the wooden floors. The windows were shattered to pieces and scattered all over. Most of the desks, chairs, and bookshelves were destroyed and scattered. The inside of the building was a total mess, with papers, notebooks, and stationery scattered all over. No one could walk around. Not only the student messengers, who were about to have lunch, but also the firefighters at work were wounded, some seriously, others slightly. Some said it was a large-scale bomb, and others a point-blank shot. So I got out of the office building without losing time and tried to make sure what was going on in the neighborhood but I could not see well because a dirt storm shut out the midsummer sun and a huge reddish-black column of clouds spread across the sky. The crying and screaming voices of women and children were heard without a break from nearby houses. We all wondered where this point-blank shot really fell, and I myself knew instinctively that this might be the same bomb as the one dropped on Hiroshima on August 6th. In fact, on the previous night, we got a briefing, though unofficial, Concerning the fierce destructive power of the bomb, the countermeasures for it, however, had not been taken.
spring wind comes from the east and quickly passes, leaving faint ripples in the wine of the golden bowl. The flowers fall, flake after flake, myriads together. You, pretty girl, wine-flushed, your rosy face is rosier still. And plum trees flower by the green painted house. The fleeting light deceives man, bringing soon the stumbling age.
turned at once to be a messenger under the fire station head and set out into the city to examine the general situation of the city after the airstrike. There were various obstacles lying in the streets toward Urakami area. I walked over them or made a detour and reached the streetcar stop at Ibisu Machi. Then I ran along the streetcar track toward the Nagasaki Station Street and turned right in front of the station along the streetcar track and headed northward to Yachiomachi area. Around Cebu Gas Company, bombs scattered pieces of wood, broken utility poles, fallen signboards, rain shutters, and severed power lines hindered me from going on, so I had to make a detour and walk along the river in the back of the company. This river, which is now reclaimed for a streetcar track, used to be called the Ofunugara River, which was about 10 meters wide and was full of used oil and mud and reeked very badly. This happened just when I was walking past Hiro Hoshino Gumi Company office and warehouse near Muromachi. The fierce smoke and sandstorm coming from ahead made it almost impossible for me to open my eyes and mouth. Then, all at once, I saw a middle-aged man with nothing on. He was full of injury all over, and his skin was peeled and reddish-purple muscles emerged. His lower part was red with blood, and his upper part, including his head, was black with oily substance like coal tar. It was a really wretched and eerie experience. I had seen the air bomb scenes as a rescue team member, but this time I even suspected he was a messenger of hell. We uttered, ah, the moment we saw each other. That may be because one was stark naked and the other was in full attire as a firefighter. The firefighters in those days wore a helmet, shouldered a water canteen and a gas mask, and wore a dagger at the waist. In addition, I wore a pair of leather putties and work shoes. For one hour after the nuclear blast, he was the first person in Urakami area that I met and talked to. We met in the midst of fierce smoke and firestorm. There was a while of silence in which I felt inside how powerful the new bomb was. Then I asked him who he was and where he came from. He answered clearly that he was a streetcar conductor from Morimachi. He seemed to bear the pain and went on to say, When I went out of the office, I heard a faint roar. So I turned to the Urakami area, and I saw the flash and the great explosion. The moment I felt as if the earth split into two and the heaven fell to the ground. I got an intense heat and fell on the ground. I lost consciousness for a while. When I came to, I had come to what I look like now. I asked him if there was no one but him there. He said with a deep sigh. When I looked around, I found people lying here and there were all dead. Perhaps no one is alive in this area ahead, pointing to the Urakami area. And he went on to say, from the train depot to the Urakami area, all the houses seemed to have collapsed. When I saw them, they were all in a great fire. So I managed to come here. Then he asked hurriedly, where is a relief station? And I answered, the first relief station is set up in Irabayashi Elementary School, and there are some other ones in Katuyama Elementary School and Shinkozen. He then asked, I'd like to go there right away, but is it all right to go there as I am? I answered, since this is an emergency, it can't be helped. Hurry up. He said, I know Irabayashi Elementary School, so I'll go there now. With this, he left me with rather stable steps. <laughs> Oh.
When I was about to set out for my destination to perform my duty, I found that Zeniza, Mori, and Urakami areas were already engulfed in a great fire, and that a tremendous column of fire rose up in the air, making it look as if it were hell on earth. It looked as if a volcano was emitting smoke, on and on, and would never stop until it consumed everything. The Weihau Shiroyami area, Takenokubo area, and Inasa area were also engulfed in the conflagration, could be seen vaguely through the rifts in fierce smoke. When I reached Ibinokuchi police box area, the neighborhood was filled with the black smoke combined with the strong odor peculiar to fire. I was almost engulfed in that smoke a couple of times. Visibility ahead was now almost zero, so I figured that I could no longer move ahead even an inch. The streets nearby were scattered with scores of bodies, all of which were too miserably damaged to see. Unable to perform my duty to observe the affected areas under such a ferocious fire, I returned to the fire station and reported to my boss about what I had seen, feeling sorry for not having fulfilled my mission. It was very fine on Friday, August 10th, the second day after the bombing. Under orders, I went to over to the Narabayashi Relief Station to observe the actual situation of the casualties according to their suffering levels. Not only the vast auditorium, but also all the classrooms were almost packed with the casualties. My surprise was doubled when I first entered the auditorium. It was like this. Some were burned all over and had his or her skin and hair lost and muscles exposed and faint voices seeking water before their deaths. There was no telling their sexes. It was so painful to hear them cry, Help! on the verge of death in the auditorium. An infant had had his eyeballs scraped out. Some kids were crying at the top of their voices as if their breaths would stop. Some mothers and kids were running around the casualties, frantically trying to look for their relatives. The scenes were, in a word, miserable. And the situation today was much worse than yesterday.
nobody cares My heavy burden Nobody shares My only comfort My only stay Jesus walking by my side all the way Nobody knows how thrown in my road Nobody knows how heavy my load Nobody cares how dismal my way How dark the night I dreary the day Nobody knows how hard I must toil Causing some time my heart to recall Nobody cares when too tired to sleep I lay awake and bitterly weep Because nobody knows Nobody cares my heavy burden Nobody shares my only comfort I only stay Jesus walking by my side all the way Nobody knows how weary my cross Nobody knows how bitter the draw. Nobody cares if even I'm ill. A light hardship has broken my will. Nobody cares, I have a burden, Lord, nobody shares, I only comfort, I only stay, Jesus walking by my side all the way. I heard that in Hiroshima, the still living injured had been covered with maggots and flies all over. Actually, in Narabayashi Relief Station too. White maggots were creeping on the eyes, mouths, ears, noses, and anywhere else as they liked. The injured were trying to wipe off the maggots, but, unable to move their limbs freely, they were just wriggling their bodies in pain. In the meantime, the maggots were concentrating on their wounds. Some who got broken pieces of glass stuck all over were crying out. Some were rolling over, giving off cries of pain. Others were begging their neighbors for help. The place was filled with painful screams. Call the doctor immediately, and give me some medicine right now. Being aware that he couldn't live any longer with red-purple spots all over his body, a man was trying desperately to rub them off his body. Another man was screaming, Kill me! It hurts! Kill me now, please! As time passed, the death toll just kept rising gradually. Some arrived there on a stretcher. Others arrived there staggering, clinging to a rescuer's shoulder, dragging one leg with a stick on the other side. A young medical team member said in despair that they could do nothing for them. I tried to grasp the situation objectively, at least the number of the casualties, but a few hours later I found that next to impossible, since the number of the casualties being carried into the place kept increasing. Around two o'clock, on my way home after accomplishing my task, I was out of the gate to Narabayashi Elementary School and was several steps down the stone stairways, where I found a naked man lying down on the ground. Approaching him, I found him already dead. 
Countless flies were swarming onto the injured spots, and they would fly away when somebody came near. I was shocked to see that he was the very man that I had met at the riverside in Taka, Takara Maji the previous day. He was poured with coal tar on the upper half, was 160 centimeters tall, looked some 40 years old, and had no hair. I remembered that he had said, I will go to Irabayashi Relief Station, and had left me in fast and steady steps. No less than 35 years have already passed since that day. I can't help wondering if his soul has been comforted respectfully on the anniversary of his death each and every year by his relatives. One day, several years after the war, I visited the railway company to ask about him, but nothing became clear. I'd been too out of my mind at that time to ask him his name. My wish is to cry for the respect of human life and the total abolition of nuclear arms. I wish I could be of any help to continue to talk to our grandchildren about the importance of true, eternal peace. Does any of this sound okay to you? Does this sound like something just, reasonable, or humane in any way? Why would we want to flirt with this happening again? Even if the chances are one in a billion that nuclear war could erupt, isn't that too close? Shouldn't we want to be as far away from repeating this horrific scene as possible? Taking sides, pouring more money into the situation, delivering more weapons into the area, attempting to shut down the speech of people who disagree. Why are so many people putting up with this? I mean, it's like some kind of insanity is gripping people in the Western countries. Now, if you're more of a visual learner, and if following this description that I just read out to you didn't do much to frighten you, then I highly recommend that you take a look at the movie Threads from 1984. Uh, say what you will about the 80s, a decade that I've cast my own share of aspersions upon for its horrible music, except for the underground, fashion, TV shows, movies, cars, but they understood this threat. They'd been living under it for decades after all. If you can watch Threads and still fully support this continuing march towards World War III and the potential nuclear holocaust that could happen as a result, then I just, I don't know what to say to you. I think maybe you've lost your ability to reason. Maybe it's your passionate hatred of Russia. Maybe it's because you're blinded by love for Ukrainian refugees and or family members. Maybe it's a fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. Whatever the reason, no one in their right mind should be pushing any message other than peace and negotiations. It's about time more people started to speak up and speak up loudly and angrily. Confront your politicians. Ask them what they're doing about this. Demand that they start pushing for a peaceful settlement and negotiations to bring an end to this conflict. By the way, do you know what the first ever doomsday clock setting was? Seven minutes to midnight. That's what Albert Einstein helped to decide when we were first faced with the fact that we'd created something that com could completely end humanity. We're now at 90 seconds to midnight. Next week, I'm going to play a repeat of the anti-war show from Remembrance Day last year. It features excerpts from many different speakers, all experts in different fields relating to the Ukraine-Russia war. I highly urge you to tune in and listen to it. Hear some different opinions. Actually really consider them. And ask yourself, why are you not hearing this anywhere else? Why are these voices and opinions being shut down or marginalized? Thanks for sticking with me, folks. If you're still here, this is Cheap Tuesdays 101.5 UMFM. Take care of yourselves.